welcome each one of you. Wonderful to have you here this morning. And also, I do want to say uh, welcome to the virtual audience that is uh, taking part in this service. It's great to uh, hear week after week about the um, activity that's taking place outside of this room. All the way from California, the Arams, all the way from there to the East Coast, to family members and uh, I've told you that as a pastor, there are new challenges each week and new opportunities. And this week I had a first. We have a virtual member, a person that has been watching and uh, for months and months, and they want to become part of the church. So now I got to look up, set up a virtual membership uh, file. So <clears throat> that's good news. And I am so happy for those that are taking part. And God bless you. Thank you for your interest in Evangel Temple, we welcome you today. We continue today a series that we started uh, several weeks ago on the subject of restoration. Restoration is uh, an opportunity that most of us have had somewhere in life where we have taken something that's old and we've restored it and brought it to a new condition and somewhat like new. Restoration is... To restore to an earlier condition is by repairing or remodeling and to impart a new vigor, to revive, give something new life. And Paul makes it clear that God wants to do a restoration in our hearts and our lives. He wants to do a restoration in our homes. He wants to do a restoration in our classrooms, restoration in our spiritual walk within our marriages he wants to restore the church. And in order to restore the church, he must do a work within each one of us personally. And that is God's desire that we would have new vigor, that we would be revived, that we would have new lives. And as we continue into this journey of restoration today, we go into the uh, second chapter of Philippians. And Paul writes this letter to a beloved church, a church that he established perhaps seven years earlier. He writes the letter with the intent of not scolding them or correcting them, but he writes the letter out of appreciation and love. It seems as if Paul has been visited by a group from the church in Philippi and they brought him uh, maybe a care package or some wonderful gifts from the church there as he's in the Roman prison and he immediately sits down and he addresses this church the key verse that we find is found in the sixth verse of the first chapter being confident of this that he who has begun a good work in you will carry it on to the completion until the day of Christ Jesus the assurance that God is continually working within each one of us that he is the master builder, he is the conductor, and he isn't through with you yet, he's not through with me. And sometimes I'm under the impression that, you know, God's just beginning with me. He wants to impart a new vigor in our lives. He wants to impart within each one of us a revival, a restoration, a new condition. In chapter one, we looked at the demolition process what takes place in an individual's life, realizing that to restore means to tear out 
Restore means to take the old worn out tattered pieces of life and begin to install that new vigor in our hearts and our lives. To cut away the rust, to cut away the cancer, to scrape off the old paint and spiritually do a work within each one of our hearts. In chapter 2, the chapter that we look at today, we find that there's the beginning of the installation process by reminding us that renovation is more than skin deep. That renovation in, in restoration is a penetration of our spiritual heart. That God's restoration is going to take more than a little spackle, a little more than chrome and nuts and bolts and paint. But Paul shows the people that restoration of life requires some fundamental in foundational restoration and repairs. Humility is a position, a position that you and I have before the Lord, and our humility is demonstrated in the way that you and I conduct our lives. We are in troublesome times, that's quite obvious. And they, the times that we in, are in surround each one of us right where we are today in the various places in our personal world in our life. And there are two main issues that grip each one of us today and reach us today in the midway point of the month of January in 2021. Two P words, pandemic and politics. You see, both issues have divided us. Both issues have divided us because there's strong feelings on both issues. There's strong feelings about the virus. There's strong feelings about political divide. And sadly, neither of these matters have unified us. They have created division in our land as we have never seen before. Created division in some families some homes, and some churches. And could it be that you and I are our worst enemy? Could it be so? That we should be united, as, especially as Americans, even though our political views may be different. Our new president, President Biden, this week cried out for unity within our land. He said that this is a historical moment of crisis and challenges. And unity is the path forward, and we must meet this moment as the United States of America. If we do not do that, we will fail. And this is somewhat what Paul is saying to us concerning our spiritual life, that in the church, unity must be within us. You see, we live, at least in my opinion, in the greatest country on earth and with more opportunities and freedom that can be found anywhere else on the globe, at least in my travels throughout the world. The blessings around us as a nation should unite us. However, there are voices around us seeking to tear us apart rather than to bring us together. The question today, are, are you one of those voices? 
We should be united against this pandemic. This virus is a true enemy. We've learned that the virus shows absolutely no favoritism. As I speak to you today, almost 6,500 people have died in the state of Missouri alone due to the virus. So thank you to those of you, all of you that are here that are wearing masks. We must pray. We must pray for wisdom, for God's guidance. Yet there are voices around us that are dividing us over this virus too. We can't even unite against a common enemy that doesn't care what color you are, does not care what language you speak. This enemy does not care what politics you support or what age that you are. This should not be. You see, if we are divided in a divided voice, we must be unified. It seems like the enemy could really be ourselves at some times. You know, it's demonstrated in the way that you and I may conduct our lives in the comments that we make. So what should we do? As Christians, we look here at the second chapter of, of Philippians. We gather here on this January Sunday morning and we can ask our question, what should you and I be doing in light of the turmoil that's around us? First, we must take some time and evaluate ourselves. Introspective views of ourselves, looking at our heart. Remember, restoration is more than just skin deep, but it's our inner being. Spiritual restoration comes from spending time in prayer. It comes from repentance. And I dare say that all of us in this room can improve in some way or another when it comes to that, that God may move upon us and that our spiritual behavior can be such that it is unified and also glorifies God. Paul exhorts that one area of restoration is that of humility. And we each should show some humility in Consider others above ourselves. In Philippians, the second chapter, in the opening verses, Paul gives encouragement, but he also says it's important that we are imitators of Jesus Christ. The second, verse, second chapter, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Having the same love, being one in the spirit and one in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And then jumping ahead a little bit to verses 14 and 15, Paul goes on to say, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless, that you may become pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and, and crooked generation. And then you will shine among them like stars 
in the sky. Do everything without grumbling. Interesting. Give others preference or give others greater treatment than what you may perhaps give yourself. Selfish ambition and vain conceit, they are enemies of unity and harmony, according to Paul's word. Paul is contrasting here greedy behavior of self against the virtue of humility that places others before your own interests, etc. C.S. Lewis was one who had an interesting twist on this particular chapter. C.S. Lewis said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Interesting comment to let it sink in. Because first century Stoic philosophers around the time of the New Testament saw humility as a weakness. And Paul says, no, humility is strength. The New Testament teaches that humility is a strength and is always seen as positive. And we look here at Paul's writing and he uses humility to refer to a sacrificial willingness to give up one's right and give up one's work for the good of others. Maybe an opinion, maybe a thought that should be withheld. The supreme example of humility is that of Jesus Christ. When we look at the, the life of Christ, he humbled himself in the obedience to God and he suffered death by crucifixion for you and I. Humility has taken the back seat in our culture today. I believe it is something that is not popular. Or it's not on the surface. Just look at some of the lingo that we use today. Selfies. MySpace. Some of you watch MeTV because of all of the old black and white shows. YouTube. The question that we could be asking ourselves in this introspective process that Paul brings to our thoughts today is, what did you reach for first today? Your Bible or your cell phone? What was your first intentional act today? Was it prayer or was it Facebook? Or was it the newspaper? I mentioned last week that, that, it, uh, that social media has played a huge part in where we are today in our cultural divide. No question about it. There's been no other age in history where there's been such a tool that you can state your opinion or you can approve someone else's opinion. Our smartphones, it happened to me 15 minutes ago. Every Sunday morning, it happens. My smartphone tells me how much time I spent on my phone and the various apps and how much attention I gave them. Most of us don't like that because we don't want to know. We don't want to know how many hours we spend on it. And maybe we have really met the enemy. And the enemy is us. Maybe we are creating some of the, the conflicts that we are experiencing. We could be our own worst enemy. 
You may be eaten alive by the content of things that you read and the things that you state or the news that you watch. And we meet people every day that need our humble service and our humble compassion. Perhaps we're we're our worst enemy. Perhaps a concentration should be put upon them. Ask yourself the question as I have to ask myself daily is did you perform some act of service or compassion for someone else last week? Have you reached out and made a call to a person that may be hurting or extended your love and concern into an individual's life? Did you call someone else just to show them, hey, I care about you, I miss you? Or could it be that we're our worst enemy and perhaps we don't think of those things? To illustrate a point, I want to tell you a story. A story about a talkative turtle that lacked humility. A turtle that was not afraid to give his or her opinion even when they were not asked. This particular turtle lived in Springfield, Missouri. Wanted to go to Florida for the winter. And since it was too far to walk for the turtle, the turtle had to come up with a scheme. And so the turtle convinced two geese to tie a rope around their necks and fly south. Well, he hung there with vice-like jaws from that rope. They were going along. Things were working out really great. I mean, the turtle had a strong jaw. And the geese were flying away. And the story is, as they crossed the Ohio River in Kentucky, some other geese joined the formation. They were super impressed with the arrangement. And one goose said, man, this is, this is so great. Who in the world thought of this brilliant idea? Well, this talkative turtle that always had an opinion couldn't resist and hastily responded and immediately felt led to open his mouth and say, I did. And then he fell to his death. I tell you this story because how many times have I opened my mouth and fell to my death? Are you falling to your death today due to your lack of resisting of opening up your mouth and responding. You and I could be our own worst enemies. We could be creating division, lack of humility. This turtle story exemplifies many people in our society today, perhaps in Paul's church in Philippi. Opening up mouths and falling to death, one post, one conversation, that we have with an individual. One like, one share, can put doubt in others' minds and cause you to fall to your death if you're not careful. If you're not exercising humility as Paul explains it, because we cloud a godly testimony for someone if we're not careful. Instead of offering opinions, offer an encouraging word. It may spare you or I from falling to our death. 
You see, the world needs, uh, it needs encouragement today. The world does not need division. And instead of lighting a fire with our opinions, with our personal reflections, with our arguments, with our degrading remarks and humiliating words that hurt, let's think about offering encouragement and help. Quit adding to the divide and start offering healing words and deeds. Call someone and rather than talk about politics or pandemics, talk about praiseworthy things. I understand that those are the ground rules for many of our Bible studies today. You come to lift up Jesus Christ. Paul particularly screams this out from the beginning to the end. This is not about you, Paul is saying. This is about God. And Satan came to Adam and Eve and said to them, hey, this is all about you. Chime in, you know. You need to learn more than this. Give your opinion. And the problem is, is that they believed him. God is the center of the universe today and will always be, not us. And until you and I are restored spiritually, and until we begin to shift the foundational drive of our lives to an understanding that God is in control, that he is first, that he is the center and that he will be in charge, and God is taking care of things, I think if we do not believe that, we're just going to spend the rest of our lives chasing our tails and trying to catch the wind and worrying and living in fear. Corinthians, the 10th chapter, the 31st verse, another writing of the Apostle Paul says this, whether then you eat or you drink, and whatever you do, you do it all to the glory of God. Could we be our worst enemy? Could we be falling to our death because of the things that we do, the things that we say, the way we conduct our lives is not glorifying God. Paul is encouraging restoration and Paul is urging the church at Philippi and I believe to each one of us today to have the mindset of Jesus Christ. Paul goes on to continue to say by implying that as Christians, you and I are called to live as imitators of Jesus Christ, imitators of Christ, to live in a way that allows people to see Jesus Christ in each one of us, that you and I are little Christ and we have anointing upon us and that we are to be imitators of Jesus Christ, not impersonators imitators and we have to be careful here because there's a great difference between being an impersonator and being an imitator people pay money to see impersonators you can go to Branson Missouri and you can see impersonators an impersonator is someone who takes great pain to make people believe that they are who they are not it's a form of entertainment the legends. You can go and see Elvis. You can see the Blues Brothers. You can see Madonna. You can see Marilyn Monroe. You can see Barry Manilow. You can see Adele, Frank Sinatra, Johnny Cash, and others. And you sit there and think, whoa, this is a throwback. These people have come back to life. 
They're impersonators. An imitator is clearly aware that they strive to live up to the challenge of being a reflection of the person that they look up to. A copy of that person, a reproduction, uh, 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 somebody that, that's not pretending. And we are called to be imitators of Jesus Christ. So another question we have to ask ourselves, are you an impersonator or are you an imitator? Are you falling to your own death? Are you a person that whatever you say, whatever you do in all things, that you're lacking in glorifying God as Paul wrote there in Corinthians? So restoration begins in knowing and allowing God to work in our lives according to what we're reading here in Philippians, the 13th verse of this chapter. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Man, that's the blessing. That is the infilling that we have as people that are imitators of Jesus Christ. If we don't allow God to work in us, we take the chance of not showing kindness to this world that is so divided right now. And we can start breaking down the walls of division by showing kindness through humility, putting others first and trying to see the best in others. And giving it all to the Lord. Restoration requires that, that we pursue the goal of being united in love. It doesn't come easily. It takes a dedicated effort that's through prayer. A dedicated effort of seeking the Lord above all and his will above all. It takes dependence upon Almighty God through the mountaintop experiences and through the valleys that we go through in life. It takes all of us working together for the cause of Christ and not trying to promote our own agendas and our own thoughts, but give it to God. And it takes all of us humbling ourselves before the throne of God to realize that he loved us first and therefore we must love other people and those that are around us. Don't let anything holds you captive during this stormy season. Don't let anything hold you back. Don't let the devil sway you from your faith. Your focus and my focus must be upon the unity of Jesus Christ as Christians. We must be encouraged in heart and united in love, as it says in the book of Colossians, the second chapter, verse number two. I want to encourage you today, just as the Apostle Paul encouraged that church in Philippi. I want to encourage you this morning that we will make it through this difficult season. That Jesus is still the same. And let me encourage you that his power and his guiding wisdom is still available to you and I. And that the devil is the author, author of discouragement losing heart and disunity. So therefore, we cannot take our eyes off the prize. We cannot take our eyes off the high calling of Jesus Christ. He will lead us across the finish line, so to speak, because we will all be together and we'll be united. 
The church has to be united today. I'm talking about the church with a capital C. Those of you that are listening today, and you may be part of another church, we, we must be united as Christians. For our nation, for the church, for our own congregation, we must have one overriding goal, and that is to be of encouragement and to be of love. Our Lord will strengthen and he'll guide us through the storms that we are facing as we reflect his image in our daily lives. Remember I said that humility is a position we take before God and it's reflected in our conduct each day. That's the proof of the humility that we have. We must reflect his image in our daily lives and, and practice humility, offer encouragement, display kindness, and be united in love. And only then will we be, uh, stop being our worst enemy. God has given us the power and the strength. Remember, your worst enemy is your own self when you are not under control. And may God help us that we would seek him and the restoration of Jesus Christ would align us in being under his control and that we would be careful in what we say and do and how we conduct our lives. Otherwise, we're going to fall to our death. And spiritual death is important to me and to each one of you, or you wouldn't be watching today. You wouldn't be listening today. May God help us that we would glorify him in our walk and our life, that we may be little Christ as we go into this week, that we may understand that our lives is not about chasing our tails or chasing the wind, but it's recognizing that God is in control of all things. Let us take that posture and that position of humility before the Lord Jesus Christ today.